So uh, today, what we are going to do is uh, first we read the benefit of uh, meditating on emptiness, and then uh, let's read the the new handout from from the important stanzas cherished by His Holiness in relation to meditation or dependent origination. Now, uh, first, let's, uh, let's read, read the benefit of benefits of uh, meditating on emptiness. Arunagarjuna's fundamental wisdom of the middle way, and tears vibrate compassion, you taught the immaculate teaching in order to eliminate all wrong views. To you, the Buddha Gautama, I prostrate. Given by the Precious Chan Sutra, Manjushri, whoever listens even with doubt to this rendition of the teaching generates much spirit. Then the Bodhisattva, who is lacking skill and means, practices the six professions for a hundred thousand eons. This being so, what need is there to say anything about a person who listens without doubt? What need is there to say anything about a person who imparts the scripture in writing, memorizes it, and also teaches it thoroughly and extensively to others? The treasure of the One Thus Gone Sutra. A living being who possesses all these ten great non virtues enters into the doctrine of selflessness and its faith and belief that all phenomena are from the beginning pure does not go to rap badger birth. Chapter on Subduing Devil Sutra. If any virtue realizes that all phenomena are absolutely pacified and the beginning of defilement is devoid of self-nature, it will remove the guilt of having defilements and make the defilements unstable. This deems even the immeasurable negativity is dysfunctional, let alone the secondary wrongs done associated with ethics and rituals. Aradivas 100 Those with less merit will not even have a doubt in this dharma of ultimate reality. Should a doubt ever arise in someone, it will shatter some flower into pieces. Chandrakirti entry into the middle way. Upon hearing about emptiness in one and ordinary being, whoever repeatedly gives rise to inner joy, and this joy brings tears that moisten the eyes and the hairs of the body, sentient to him presents the seed of the wisdom of the perfect Buddhahood. Chandrakirti entry into the middle way. They always abide in ethical disciplines. They engage in generosity, cultivate compassion, meditate on patience, and fully dedicate the virtues on these towards enlightenment. For the sake of liberating sentient beings, they respect the completed bodhisattvas. <coughs> okay, so uh, the, the next part. Uh, I think better than reading this one would be to read what we have of the extracts. The actual uh, the actual procedure for meditation. Uh, let's read together. Here, I'm going to explain in a concise and comprehensible way how to bring within us the insight into the illusion-like appearance of all phenomena. Objects of knowledge can be divided into functional and non-functional objects. The former is of two kinds, forms and non-forms. A few that explained in other texts Vasubandhu's 20 stanzas, the existence of directionally parted particles in the case of form, and temporarily parted moments in relation to minds, thereby established that all functional things necessitate having parts. Given that a whole and part will be unrelated if they have distinct entities, reject distinctness of the two, 
and show that are fallen part of our sin nature. However much we may reflect upon the relationship, while in the real sense of the term the two exist as the same nature, they undeniably appear as distinct natures. This psychomatically illusion discerns the union of the appearance in that way and the entrance of the object existing in that fashion. While this union finds no inconsistency with the deceptive mode of existence where things are posited through the power of their appearance to a mind, it is objectively not visible for an object whose mode of existence is not through the power of the object's appearance to a mind. In the case of a true existence, which is explained earlier, it is not permissible to, uh, between the appearance and the mode of existence of the object as it is on the basis of the sheer ascension of falsities that true existence is posited. Moreover, it in this nature untenable as the mind perceiving them as distinct natures becomes otherwise not mistaken. Through this understanding, by these one refutes true existence upon non-functional objects as well. How? Even in the case of non-compounded space, we have to accept that there are some forms where it pervades. Within that, some pervades is and others pervade the other directions. By the same token, the ultimate reality also has many pervading parts and has many parts in the sense of being objects of realization of various temporal moments of the mind. This can likewise be extended to other non-compounded objects. Established that the whole and its multiple parts are of the same entity as they cannot be different entities. This is feasible for a deceptive nature and not for a truly existent one. Thus, by rejecting true existence as done earlier, all phenomena established to be empty of true existence. And that's really was about this 20 stanza. Because of being simultaneously surrounded by six other particles, the central subtle particle is found to have six parts. If these six parts have the same special dimension, a massive object will conflate into a size of just a minute particle. Okay. So, uh, before we read the other one, the important stanzas, cherished by His Holiness, uh, I like to ex- uh, let's look at it and I'm, I'm going to explain it a little bit little bit so that uh, you can, um, again, uh, some of these, some of these, or if possible, you can use all these stanzas on a daily basis during your meditation, and, um, and, de- uh, and particularly in the actual process of meditation, there are two or three stanzas, which I'm going to point to. Okay, so... Uh, by saying this on a regular basis, make sure that you know um, one day you have everything by heart, and then you know uh, even while you are simply taking a walk, or you're eating your food, or you are in your bed, <coughs> you know, you have these stanzas recited by heart, and then reflect, you know, follow meditation according to these lines. Okay, first. The Upali Request Sutra. This is very striking and this is really the very hallmark of the meditation and emptiness. You know, so say, um, say, uh, I think for, we need to go where, uh, actually, 
of course we are going to explain this one, stanza 1, 2, 3, 4, are an exogenous fundamental wisdom of the middle way, stanza, that stanza through season karma and afflictions, nirvana is achieved. This is what I'm going to explain later, but this is the whole point that we need to keep in mind. Perhaps we, we can do that first, yeah. Are an fundamental wisdom of the middle way, you got it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, through season karma and afflictions, nirvana is, uh, nirvana is achieved. So this is just one... Um, one stanza, one ver- no, just one verse, and yet it encompasses, you know, a whole lot of information about how um, how we are trapped in samsara and how possibly we can free ourselves from samsara. This is such a comprehensive stanza. See, so before we read this, uh, let me give you an overview of what is you know, said here. Say. Um, what are we seeking? You know, some people they do their business, you know, and is it Mr. John? John, yeah, Mr. John, you know, he's already, you know, um, shown up for his work so early, so cold. And then we're all here in Abbey, so people, you know, they are in movement, they move to seek something and which which we all which we all know happiness, right? And yet and yet, you know, while we seek something, this can be put in a different way as well. We are trying to run away from something. Because you know, you seek to you seek food and you run away from hunger. Right? You seek happiness and you are running away from suffering. What is suffering? Suffering is dissatisfaction. Right? So, the worth of the dissatisfaction, the worth of the dissatisfaction, uh, let's, uh, let me put it this way. So all these, these dissatisfactions, you know, say, in the form of, in the form of after suffering from cancer, or in the form of also suffering from migraine, you know, uh, toothache, and all forms of problems. So at one point, when the suffering is so acute, we wish that I'm separate from this body, you know. So, but, 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 we are tied to this body by what? By karma, right? And likewise, say, oh, there is hurricane happening, and there is below 50 degrees centigrade something, you know, unusual, unusually cold. So, you know, no heating system can help. Where shall we run? Again, you know, we are caught up in such an environmental, terrible, unbearable environmental situation. Look at the hurricane problem. It's unbelievable. So painful to see, just even to see that, you know, people they're being carried away by the current of the, you know, very forceful. You know, people can take photographs but cannot really help. Such a tragic situation. So, again, what created all these things? These are all undesirable dissatisfactions. What created them? They're all created by our own mistaken karmas in the past. 
And who created this karma? Again, the, the karma is motivated. The, the trigger is the affective emotions. And who creates the affective emotions? It is by our, you know, it is by our unrealistic, it is by our unrealistic appearance of the objects in terms of characteristics. Say, you know, something is just 10% good and you view that as 100% good. And something is 10% bad and you view it as 100% bad. And because of viewing 10% good as 100% good, and then there's excessive attachment, obsession towards it. This is the attachment, you know, which triggers many of the samsara karmas. And you see 10% bad, and actually we exaggerate that to 100% bad, and then there's aversion, hostility, anger towards the object. Uh, again, you engage in all negative actions, such as the ten non-virtuous actions. So we see that ultimately it is this, you know, not ultimately, sorry, all these afflictions get they are given rise to by the exaggerated, you know, exaggerating, unrealistic, unrealistically exaggerating mental states or conceptualizations unrealistically exaggerating conceptualizations. And what, you know, what triggers this unrealistic exaggerating, exaggerating conceptualizations that is finally triggered by our ignorance which sees things to exist inherently. So now look, there's a systematic, you know, progression. How finally we are trapped in this undesirable very painful, you know, experience, suffering in samsara. So, you know, what is that painful experience created by? Created by the contaminated karma. What is that created by? That is created by afflictions. What is that created by? It is created by the unrealistic, uh, exaggerating conceptualizations. What is it created by? You know, that is created finally by the ignorance which views things to exist inherently, you know. So, if you don't want suffering, we have to cut the afflictive emotion, so we have to cut the karma, because karma is the one which directly gives us the suffering. And if you don't want karma, you know, contaminated karma, what do we need to do? We need to cut the afflictions, because the afflictions are there at the, the root. And again, too, if you don't like the afflictions, what should we do? we need to cut the unrealistic, exaggerating conceptualizations. If you don't want that, what should we do? We need to cut the ignorance, grasping at things to exist inherently. So this is the sequence, you know? So if you're able to cut this ignorance, grasping at a true existence or inherent existence, then the unrealistic, exaggerating conceptualizations will automatically disappear by which, because of which, all afflictions will dismantle or disappear, and because of which, we stop accumulating any samsara karmas, and because of which, we are freed from samsara. This is nirvana. So now look, the sequence in terms of how we are trapped in samsara, and sequence how we can possibly be freed from samsara. 
So both are, you know, both can be understood in this context. So let's let's just read the stanza and just one stanza and it explains everything. Okay. Through uh, let's read that together. Through seizing karma and afflictions, nirvana is achieved. Karma and afflictions arise from distorted conceptions. These arise from elaborations of grasping at true existence, elaborations seized by or into emptiness. Look, now I'll explain this. Through seizing karma and afflictions, nirvana is achieved. Meaning that, you know, finally nirvana, what's the opposite of nirvana is the suffering. You know, it is by seizing, it is by seizing karma that the suffering is eliminated. The elimination of suffering is nirvana, achieving of nirvana, right? And then, uh, how does one seize karma? It is by seizing afflictions. Through seizing karma and afflictions, nirvana is achieved. Then the question is, you know, so here, um, it, it, it tells us, you know, first to seize karma, which is given rise to by afflictions. And then it says, Karma and afflictions arise from distorted conceptions. So the order is that karma is given rise to by afflictions. Afflictions in turn is given rise to by the distorted conceptions. Here the distorted conceptions referring to the unrealistic, exaggerating conceptualizations. Distorted conceptions simply doesn't mean any distorted conceptions. It is unrealistic, exaggerating conceptualizations. Okay, now later on we need to distinguish between these unrealistic, exaggerating conceptualizations versus grasping it, you know, true existence. And these, these referring to the distorted, you know, uh, unrealistic, exaggerating conceptualizations, these arise from elaborations of grasping at true existence. So here the elaborations should be thought of in terms of grasping at true existence, the ignorance grasping at true existence. And the elaborations cease. What is that? What is this elaborations? Grasping into existence. Good. Elaborations cease. You know, elaborations stop by emptiness, by the wisdom of emptiness. Number one. Or it can be read as elaborations cease into emptiness. You know, there are two ways of uh, reading the same line. So if you say it is stopped, by the wisdom of emptiness is quite straightforward, quite direct, you know. So if you meditate or meditate on the wisdom of emptiness, then by that power, um, the grasping of true existence will be, you know, undermined. This is quite straightforward. But then the other one is, you know, uh, again has its own beauty or, or profundity. Elaboration seized into emptiness, which means that, you know, last time we were talking about the Alevijan, where you know the waves of consciousness and everything coming out of this basis of all consciousness from the from the vast you know sea of the base of the Alivijan, you know so then what happens when the wind stops and all these waves will go back into the ocean so likewise all these you know suffering and they are nothing but a manifestation of the impurity of our own mind, you know. And the impurity of our own mind, they all come, you know, they all arise from this vast expanse of the emptiness of the mind. Now, last time we talk about the Alevijan, 
Now here in this context from Alivian, that is from the point of view of Chittamatra, now from the point of view of Prasangika, you know, instead of Alivian, think of this one. All these elaborations, all these conventional realities, they all simply arise, you know, from the emptiness nature of the mind. So, when you're able to, when you're able to, to meditate on emptiness, what will happen is that, that all these things will simply go back into the emptiness of the mind. You know, it will simply dissolve into the emptiness of the mind. Yeah, right? So, this means that at that point you simply abide in the experience of a profound emptiness of the mind. So at that point, at that point, you know, when you have a direct experience of emptiness, nature of the mind, then all elaborations simply dissolve there, you know, all elaborations simply dissolve. Now imagine, elaborations, again look, elaborations, it can uh, refer to all, there are all different kinds of, you know, elaborations. Elaboration in the context of grasping at true existence and the elaboration in the context of conventional realities, you know, within, the, within that profound experience of emptiness, not dualistically, all elaborations in the context of conventional, conventional realities, they all dissolve, including the grasping of true existence, you know, simply dissolve. And at that point, you know, since all conventionalities, all conventional realities, they simply dissolve in that experience of emptiness, you know, Sickness, aging, death, all undesirable things, are they existent or non-existent? They are existent. They are existent. Are they ultimate reality or conventional reality? Conventional. conventional reality. So, when all conventional realities dissolve into this emptiness, all these problems, dissatisfactions, such as, you know, sickness, aging, death, and all other undesirable things, they being conventional realities, they also dissolve into this emptiness. So you are freed from sickness, aging, death and all undesired things. So this is nirvana, right? So this is what is meant by elaboration cease into emptiness. Okay, so now look. So this is the whole import of, you know, should be the whole import of our practice. Uh, this should be the, the background of um, uh, the um, practice on emptiness. And now let's read the first stanza. You know, the first stanza is so beautiful. So this is the, again, this is the whole framework of emptiness uh, represented, you know, uh, demonstrated in a very beautiful, poetic way. <coughs> Say, we talked about, you know, what is that uh, distorted conception in uh, Arinagajana's stanza, distorted conceptions. Karma and afflictions arise from distorted conceptions. So that is the unrealistic, unrealistic, uh, exaggerating conceptualizations. Like, you know, you see flower, it's just like, say, okay, 20% beautiful. And you say it's 100% beautiful, and you like to take it into your room. You know? So, these kind of things happen. So, you know, why? Because you feel it so sparkling and so, you know, alluring. So, actually, simply grasp it, grasp, grasping the flower as inherently existent, you know? 
may not necessarily induce attachment in you. You know, it can instead induce sense of undesirability, sense of repulsion, or it's, you know, independent existence is horribly bad, you know. And then aversion can arise in you. And sometimes, you know, in other, uh, in, uh, in other people, it can induce attachment. So, you know, when attachment is given rise to, it is seen in the light of simply glowing, sparkling, alluring, all, you know, elegant, and so forth. So let's see. Uh, Upali requested Sutra, the various delightful flowers blossom, and the sparkling supreme golden abodes stand alluring me. They have no creator at all. They are posited by the power of thought. Through the power of conceptualization, the world is imputed. Right? So look, so this is how our attachments arise. When we see things, when we see things, you know, unusually alluring and beautiful and attractive or unusually disagreeable, you know, repulsive. So then the, the true afflictions arise. And through these afflictions, then we start accumulating karma. So, look, you know, so what is being instructed here is that the various delightful flowers blossom. You see, you know, these fresh flowers with different colors and shades blossoming. And then you go to all different, you know, what is that? I forgot that word. Uh, you know, sometimes you have um, in the countryside, you know, there's a very beautiful house standing for, you know, very rich people. I don't know if there's one special word for that. Mansion. Just for, just meant for, you know, to enjoy. For holiday, you know. Holiday house. Vacation, vacation home. Vacation home, yeah. Yeah, vacation home, like that, yeah. So, then there are some, you know, really splendidly constructed, designed. So then, if you always happen to be in a horrible house, you know, with dripping and these things, and no proper, no proper, what, heating system, and all these problems, then you go there, you know, Again, first what happened is that it will appear to you so inherently existent. And then after that, what is that? This is the elaboration, you know, first the elaboration. Then the second one is what? The distorted conception, which is the unrealistically exaggerating, you know. It's perfect, you know. It's perfect. So this is the second line in the Upali Request Sutra. And the sparkling supreme golden abode stand alluringly, you know. You just wish you are there. And then it is these things, the beautiful flowers and the sparklingly, you know, um, standing golden apples, they all appear as though, you know, they are so independent of themselves, as though there's some someone else who created it. But in true sense, there's no creator at all. They are posited by the power of your own thought. You know? Now look, we apply the, the reason from Lama Sanghapa's, you know, Lama Sanghapa's extract 
on this, on this house, all the beautiful flower, and then say, you know, uh, samsara is again characterized by sexual, sexual, you know, attraction. This is one of the worst of the thing, you know. So, in all these situations, you apply the same reasoning, the same logic. Then you see that, you know, as soon as you realize that all these things we which are so attached to, whether it is the, you know, the, the sexual attachment or whether it is attachment to food, attachment to house, attachment to the beautiful garden, you know, they are all just posited by one, one's own thought. When you try to really look into it, objectively, it simply disappears, you know, very sad. And then we, through the very systematic uh, logic put forth by Lama Tsongkhapa, we see that they are all just, you know, our mind which creates, not there. And as soon as we experience that, and particularly, particularly, and those objects which, you know, which create temptation in you, which create passion in you, so particularly these objects, but if you're able to understand a little bit of how, you know, it is not there, objectively, it is one's own mental creation, then really there's, you know, uh, as though like your mind was overly excited seeing the object so enduring and then immediately as soon as you get a glimpse of this experience of the of that object, the, the enduring object, not existing over there, but one's own mental creation, then that kind of mental excitation, you know, simply dissolves. You will feel it so strongly, so strongly. It's immediate, you know, immediate, immediate. So therefore, I usually tell people that if you really want to monastic, if you really want to be monastic, you know, the safeguard of one's uh, commitment of one's uh, monastic um, ethics is you should be equipped with some understanding of emptiness. You know, otherwise. The alluring nature, you know, seeing things, first of all, seeing things to be so inherently existent, number one. And number two, then the second one, the distorted, you know, exaggerating conceptualization is so strong, it's so strong, you know, so strongly ingrained in us since the beginning of time. And because of which, you know, we can simply be, uh, we can simply be, you know, overtaken, overwhelmed by this and then we can you know have our ethical ethical uh, precepts just simply shattered yeah so whereas if you are equipped with some degree of experience of emptiness then you know we see that oh monastic life is indeed the rocket to get to the state of the you know the paradise of buddhahood yeah, it's re really a rocket. It's not like walking. Yeah. So without monastic south, it is like walking. Yeah. So this is the this is a very striking this stanza. The various delightful flowers blossom, and the and the sparkling supreme golden apples stand alluringly. They have no creator at all. They are posited by the powers of thought. Through the part of conceptualization, the world is imputed. Everything that you see around, it is simply created by our own mind. One. Number two. Say, 
every one of us, one day or the other, you know, we have days of sadness, days of low spiritedness, you know, where you find yourself alone, no one else coming to your rescue, no one else coming to you, you know, when you're in a difficult stage, everybody tends to abandon you. This is the reality of samsara. This is the definition of samsara. When you're blossoming, everybody will come to embrace you. When you're in desolate, you know, destitute situation, everybody abandons you. But not everybody. The Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, they will not abandon you. They will especially come to, you know, your rescues, or your rescue. But the sad thing is that our karma is so bad it's so bad, it's so vicious, it's so, you know, um, it's so cunning that they stop us from seeing the Buddha's Bodhisattvas. It is our own mistake. We have been relying on these negative karmas, negative afflictions, because the wish, you know, the reliable friends, the Buddha's Bodhisattvas are kept, you know, kept far away from you. Although they come, but you say, no, 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 you run away. And then others, the afflicted friends, you know, when you're blossoming, they come to you. When you, you know, becoming desperate, they all, they will simply abandon you. This is nature. Don't blame them. Blame yourself. Right? Okay. So, now look. If you have the understanding of emptiness, okay, if you have the understanding of emptiness, this is the friend who will never abandon you, you know. It will especially come to embrace you when you are in a difficult period. Say, oh now look, you know, I'm so alone. I'm so, you know, de- de- desolate, destitute. No, everyone going away from me. No, not everyone. Because this friend, you are trying to say, you know, you are trying to run away from this friend, but, you know, now that you have studied Lama Tsongkhapa's text, Lama Tsongkhapa has given you a wonderful friend, you know, simply try to make this friend strong, and this friend will be always there, and it will suffice you having hundreds of, hundreds of millions of friends, this such a great friend. And then it is all you can say, you are in such a low-spirited state. And at times, you might even come to a point that, oh, I might, you know, commit suicide. At that point, simply ask your friend the emptiness, wisdom of emptiness. And it will say, no, calm, be calm, be happy, I'm there. And immediately you select an emptiness, you know, of yourself and the situation. And you get a glimpse of it. Immediately, as though like, you know, the, the milk boiling up, it will simply subside, so calm. This is the power of the wisdom of emptiness. So with that, you know, then immediately you'll see, you know, change in your attitude, change in your outlook of the reality. And then the low spiritedness simply disappears. You know, it's not there. Again, you feel back at home. This is the power of wisdom of emptiness. So therefore, we should make sure that don't simply wait until that point. Make sure that we give strength to this wisdom right now. Right? Okay. So, look. Um, this stanza, you know, as for me, 
I've been saying this stanza, you know, almost every day, almost every day, and trying to reflect on emptiness on the basis of this. Yeah, this is Sutra. This is the word of the Buddha, which means the one who has experienced emptiness in the, the most thorough way. So, even the, the, even the lines he put was put in such a way that you reflect it, or you reflect on it, and even the lines, the sequence of the lines, you know, they have they are put in the most efficient way, where we can understand emptiness most easily and most quickly. Okay, so one and number one, number two, the Bikuni um, Vajira said in a fundamental vehicle sutra. This is another sutra. The mind is demonic, which views the true self. You have wrong view. These compositional aggregates are empty. There is no living being in them. Look, you know, last time we have been examining ourselves, whether we exist objectively or we exist simply by thought, you know, and then we come to know that, oh, there is no self other than the body and the mind. Again, it gives us the impression, it's so like that the body and the mind, although the self is not there, but the body and the mind is there, and then here it says, these compositional aggregates are empty. Given these compositional aggregates, if we apply the same reason, the logic, set forth by Lama Tsongkhapa, again, even these will be lost. And then you will find smaller ones. Again, these smaller ones, you apply the same reason. Again, they will lost. And it will go on and on and on. You know, you do it as you go on with this examination. And finally, as I said last time, it will come to you as though like, you know, the object is telling you, now it is no point, there is no point in you examining me, you know, whether I make this inherently, everything of mine, you know, every atom of me does not exist inherently. So, there is nothing existing inherently. As though like the object is telling you, that kind of experience can happen. At that point, then you can simply, you know, stop. And then, you reflect on the, uh, on the emptiness nature of the self, and then, while you reflect on the emptiness of the nature of the self, the emptiness nature of everything as well seems to be quite naturally being attached, you know, coming to you attached to this experience. Okay, so, um, again, this is also really very important. And then, the second part, or the third stanza, just as one designates a cart, cart or a chariot, in dependence upon a collection of parts, so we assert the conventional living beings Independence upon aggregates, you know. The car is very strange. The external uh, chariot, you know, horse chariot or whatever, or the car. So there, if you think about the empty nature, it seems quite uh, agreeable, quite acceptable, and uh, seems to be quite relatively easy. Or the car, people are so intoxicated to have one, you know, so obsessed to have one. And yet, if you examine the wheels are the car or the top flat cover, the, the metals, the metallic, you know, cover. Are they the car? And then what about this steering? Is that the car? Or the engine, the car? Or the seats, the car? You know? We see that none of these. And yet, we have a great sense of temptation, obsession to cars. You know? So where is that car? Then we see that it is relatively more easier to dissolve this idea of the car, you know, when you think about these things. And then, Buddha said that, 
just as you are able to dissolve the sense of car in relation to the external object, simply relate that to oneself. You are just the same thing, you know. So it says, So we assert the conventional living beings, like yourself, independence upon the aggregates. There is nothing, you know, nothing as independent. It is simply the aggregates, you know. And even the aggregates also, again, there is nothing there other than the composite, the constituents of the aggregates. Okay. And then, Aranegarjuna's fundamental wisdom of the middle way. Through ceasing karma and afflictions, nirvana is achieved. Karma and afflictions arise from disordered conceptions. These arise from elaborations of grasping a true existence. Elaborations cease by or in, into emptiness. Okay. Now, this answer is really very important. Next one. Neither the aggregates, nor different from the aggregates. The aggregates don't depend on him. Nor is the dependent, nor is he dependent on them. That the Tathagata does not possess the aggregates. What is the Tathagata's? What is the Tathagata then? You know, say, actually the basic format of the examination into emptiness is what we studied already, right? So with that as the basic format, then you know, they're all we should be able to we should be able to correlate what we have studied with all the different ways of analyzing emptiness. So this one here, neither the aggregates nor different from the aggregates and so forth, this stanza is what is known as, you know, um, the establishing emptiness by means of the five corners. Establishing emptiness by means of the five corners. By the reason, by the reason of the five corners. And then Chandrakirti, he came up with two additional uh, points. So thereby establishing emptiness by means of by reason by the reasoning of seven points, you know. So here seven points or seven corners, and then here by means of the five corners or five uh, five points. So what are the five points? So here first, neither the aggregates saying that the aggregates, the aggregates are not the self or not the tagada, you know. Say to yourself, your aggregates are not the are not you. Which means that, you know, when we analyze objectively in terms of the, in terms of the uh, entity-wise, entity you know, the self and the aggregates, this is just one. Which means that, you know, what we find is just aggregates. And these aggregates are not the self. So this is the united aggregates, right? Okay, not, uh, no different from the aggregates. Meaning that, you know, Going away from the aggregates, do you find do you find the self? No, which means that again, objectively, on the object side, on the entity 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 wise, we see that the self and the aggregates is just one, you know. So there's no self other than the aggregates, right? So at this point, which we have learned, that uh, the yeah, that. Entity-wise, the self and the, the aggregates or the parts, these two are just one. So this, you know, this very point helps us, you know, remove the first two uh, misconceptions that the aggregate is the self. No, you know, you try to point to these aggregates and the aggregate, you know, these um, these aggregates objectively on the uh, on the what entity-wise entity level, you know. We simply could find the aggregates and not self, right? So the aggregates 
are not the self because they are the they are countless numbers of aggregates and the self is just one. And also, other than the aggregates, we don't find the, the, the self because on the object side, you know, self and aggregates, these two are just one. Which means that there is no different self other than the aggregates. No different from the aggregates, you know. And then the aggregates don't depend on him, meaning that since that objectively we don't find two different entities, the self and the aggregates. So how can you know if there's no two things? How can you say that you know? How can you say that um, the uh, the that the self depends on the aggregates? The aggregates depend on the self. How can you say that? Say on my palm is there the monkey? Look, look at it. Do you see monkey? No. no. So am I dependent on the monkey on my palm? No. Why? It's not there. It's not there. And is the monkey on my palm dependent on me? No. No. So because there is no two. In order to speak about the, the dependence, there must be two. At least two. Right? So, the aggregates don't depend on him. Because objectively, when you look for objectively, we just see the aggregates. We don't see the aggregates and the, uh, the, the self distinct. So therefore, there is no two entities there. So because there is no two entities, you know, each of them, they de don't depend on e each other. The aggregates don't depend on him, him meaning other person. And nor is he or she dependent on them, on the aggregates. Because, you know, on that level, there is no two distinct entities. Then, the fifth, now how many points we finished? Four points. Now the fifth one, that the Tathagata does not possess the aggregates. Agri, oh, look, this spelling mistake, aggregates. The Tathagata, or the, the self, does not possess the aggregates. So the, the third and the fourth points are dependent. And now, say, you know, um, there could be one way of putting it. Say, my palm has this visiting card, you know. Although these two are two distinct entities, you know, so my palm is having a visiting card on it. I, I'm having, I'm, I'm, you know, my palm is having in possession a visiting card. So like that, you know, the Tathagata or the self, is it having the aggregates on top of it? So that you take the aggregates away and still there is the Tathagata, say, you know, the visiting card, you take it away and still there is a hand. So like that, you know, you take, you take away all the aggregates and still there's the self? No. So therefore, you know, the fifth point which says that the Tathagata does not possess the aggregates the way the hand possess, uh, possesses, uh, you know, a fruit. Then if that is the case, where is the Tathagata then? The Tathagata referring to Buddha. So this is analysis done in relation to the Buddha. You know, so we say, the Buddha. Of course the Buddha is there, but if you think that Buddha exists inherently, then these are the five possible ways by which you should be able to find a Buddha. But in, through these five ways, we don't find a Buddha. The Buddha is not one with the aggregates of the Buddha. The Buddha is not different from the aggregates of the Buddha. The Buddha is not dependent, you know, dependent on the aggregates. No the aggregates dependent on the Buddha. Of course, again, this little bit of haziness coming to you, I know. Why? I do depend on my aggregates. This is the feeling that coming to you, I know that. Yeah. 
Okay, I told you, you know, when you speak about dependence, when you speak about dependence, there must be at least how many? Mm-hmm. Two. And there are two, the self and aggregates, right? Mm-hmm. But look, what we're talking about is that if things exist inherently, independent of a mind, independent of a mind, you know, the aggregates and the tathagata, these two are the same. Because entity-wise, these two are the same, right? These two are no two distinct things. Entity-wise, if there are no two distinct things, then how can they have this relationship in terms of dependence, right? You got it? The hiddenness disappeared? Yeah, I can see from your face. I see. Okay. Right. So now, uh, I add this one replaced by your name. Say, you know, um, you are Mr. Ting Dong, you know, and then say, neither the aggregate is no different from the aggregate. The aggregates don't depend on him, nor is he dependent on, on them. The Ting Dong doesn't possess aggregates. What is the Ting Dong? You know? Yeah, so now let's all say, you know, by putting your own name. Okay. Neither the aggregates, no different from the aggregates. The aggregates don't depend on him, nor is he, de- oh yeah, is he dependent on them. The Tenzin Akasura, Doji Damdu, does not possess the aggregates. What is the Doji Damdu? Tell us, do you do it? Tell us, do you say this? Did I say it? Ah, yes. Good. Christina? Okay. Yeah, I heard others. Okay, that's good. So, this is not my creation. This is what His Holiness very oftentimes, you know, during His public teachings, um, advise people to do. You know, you simply don't look at. So, ultimately, of course, we, you know, as I said earlier, in terms of the examination we need to do in relation to all possible things. But finally, finally, you know, it must be somehow connected. The practice must be somehow connected to the self. Right? To yourself. So, here, instead of simply always going pointing outside, now here, in, in place of Tathagata, you know, you put yourself. And then meditate. Okay. And why Tathagata in Nagarjuna's, you know, thing? Because sometimes what happens is that, you know, we say, I'm a Buddhist. And then you try, you tend to have a very strong affinity, strong sense of, you know, um, Buddhist chauvinism can happen, you know. So, this is really bad. Again, when these are happening, this is indicative of your viewing Buddhism and Buddhist as inherently existent. So, Arunagarjuna is saying that, again, this is not Buddhism, this is the opposite of Buddhism. You know? So, Buddhism is to dismantle this chauvinistic idea and whereas you are creating that. So, uh, we respect the Buddha so much, of course. But, if this sense of, you know, uh, faith and respect somehow, you know, uh, leads us towards more negative, in a sense, oh, Buddha is the only teacher, you know, then you try to undermine, you try to, you know, look down upon other religions, then there's the chauvinistic attitude coming viewing the Buddha as inherently existent. So with that view, 
even if you say the Buddha and then you respect, you know, then you make thousands of prostrations and these things, but no enlightenment can happen. Because enlightenment can happen only if you have a proper proper understanding of emptiness of inherent existence, which can eliminate the grasping at true existence, which in turn is at the root of samsara. You know? So whereas if you view the Buddha as inherently existent, again it will not help. You know, the Buddha simply discourages that. So, you know, um, which means that even the faith that we have, that we cultivate, even the compassion that we cultivate must be cultivated in accordance with the wisdom of emptiness. Right? Okay. Okay, in this relation let me also you know, let me also uh, share this with you. Lama Sankhapa, in his commentary on Aranagarjuna's fundamental wisdom of the middle way, I think somewhere in the second chapter, you know, he gave a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful advice. And the advice is, advice is that whatever objects that you see around you, whatever, whatever thing that you hear, whatever sound that you hear, or whatever taste that you experience, or anything, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you experience, you immediately, you know, say, um, whatever, whatever you see, things here, and you know, um, things like that, in the process of causation, say, you see, oh, five, ten days ago, it was so pleasant. Now it has become so chilly cold, you know, so there's a change happening. And then also, oh, 20 years ago, I was much younger, and now look, I'm older, you know, there's a change. And say, two years ago, there was no this Godami building coming up, now it's coming up, so there's a change. So every time you see changes, you try to think of that, you try to, to correlate that with the understanding of emptiness. When there is a change, which means that, you know, there is no inherent, you know, uh, there is no independent existence. Whenever there is a change, the change must, must occur because of dependence on causes and conditions. So this means that it is not independent, it is dependent on causes and conditions. So, you see that Things when you, as soon as you see change, you simply reflect not simply on the causality, then also try to reflect on how that particular object is lacking independent nature. You know, so then you see that there is you know the object lacking existing from its own side. So then Lama Sangapa advises us that if you do that, if you connect the experience of emptiness, the understanding of emptiness, with every event of change that you see around, you know, then what can happen is that the, say, what happened to you, what happens, is this kind of experience that you have? Say, you know, uh, even nowadays, say, so, you know, is after like 37, 38 years, you know, even nowadays, when you have turnip, the vegetable, you know, the turnip. So, 
as soon as I taste turnip, it simply takes me back in time. Thirty something years ago, you know, it simply takes me back in time with my mother. A small, very small baby, you know. Seems like the turnip is the taste that I very strongly, you know, enjoyed when I was a very small baby. So it immediately takes me there, back in time with my mother. Right. So look, this turnip connects me. There. Similarly, similarly, what Lama Sangapa, is this the kind of thing that, you know, ever happened to you? Yes. I sometimes, you know, say uh, some folk songs, you know. Yeah, or smell. A smell. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Did that happen to you? Good. Tell us. All those, and also the qualities of light, too. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, taking you back, connecting you back, you know. Okay, similar, this is the key. Look, all these small kind of experiences that we have in daily mundane life can be used, you know, if we can think of that intelligibly. So, Lama Tsongkhapa uses that. He said that, why not as soon as you see something, you know, not like, uh, look, so say, at 8.30, at 8.30, you know, when we uh, began, there was no there's sunlight, mm-hmm. and there's light coming, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, there's a change, yeah. you know, there's a change, because this coming, falling to my, you know, face is dependent, you know, on many factors. So say, if there's no, if there's totally opaque, it's not coming here, yeah. right? So it depends on it not being opaque, you know. And then secondly, because of my presence here, if I'm not here, it will not fall, you know. And then it's also because of uh, no cloud. It depends on all these factors. So we see that all this fall, you know, the the, uh, the 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 sun's rays, you know, is it seems so sparkling, independent. But in true sense, if you think from all these points, we see that again. You know, it's coming, entering in this room, entering into this room is again dependent on all many factors. If something goes wrong, if all of a sudden there's no uh, cloud or the tornado happening, <laughs> then the sun is impossible, the sun rays, you know, it will be simply clouded, you know, the dust will simply stop all the things. So, again we see that they're all, this again is dependent a dependent nature is not independent. What? If something simply, you know, happens other way, then it simply stops. So, you know, all these changes, you know, in every change that you experience, that you see, simply try to use that to understand, to interpret that as the lacking of independent nature of that object. If you do that, you know, if you're used to that so much, if you are used to that so much, then Lama Tsongkhapa says that in the future lifetimes, in the future lifetimes, of course, we are not too sure. Very likely, meeting with teachers who teach emptiness is so less. But people somehow sharing with you or teaching you on uh, causality, causal relationship, this is more likely to happen. So, you know, even though someone simply teaches you the gross, very gross cause of relationship, a scientist telling you that, 
or if you combine these two, you know, these two chemicals, then this will come about. Immediately, you know, in your next life, even though you are not a Buddhist, you, you may not be a Buddhist, your family could be, you know, something very different, you know, non-believer. And you go to class, you know, and the teacher says that, oh, don't climb on the chair. If you climb on the chair, you fall and you have injury. Oh, this injury is because of a fall. Fall because of my climbing on the chair. You know? So it depends on all these things. So then immediately, although the teacher didn't teach you <laughs> in the emptiness, but then because of your karmic, you know, because of your path, habituation of connecting the experience of emptiness into the, the causal relationship, you know? The next life, when somebody points you the causal relationship, immediately you'll come to know that, oh look, this falling, this injury is not independently existing. This simply come to you automatically. And then, you know, you'll start seeing the world in a different light. And then, you know, you simply by accidentally, you know, there's this kind of book in the library. You look at it, you see it, it exactly reflects what you are thinking. You know? Emptiness. And then you say, who is the author? You know? And where are those people who study this? And then you might end up in the great monastic universities. You go there and you see, this is a perfect world that I've been, you know, seeking. While I was small, my way of thinking and the ways of thinking of my friends is just opposite. Their ways of thinking is so, you know, basic, so rudimentary, senseless. And yet I thought I was insane. But this is not. Now look, this is it. You know? So this is how one can connect. Oh, this is a marvelous, marvelous, treacherous. This is really a treasure. This is really a treasure, a piece of treasure. And a gem, you know, a real gem advice from Lama Tsongkhapa. So with this, you know, then we can hope to keep our experience, keep our meditation and emptiness alive even in the next time. Yeah. So that's really very important. So this, you know, amazing. I actually learned, you know, this uh, concept of emptiness. I think, say, like 20 years ago, 20, more than 20, like, 20, yeah, 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 20 years. And then, it was only, I think, uh, what, six, seven, seven years ago, only seven years ago, that I saw that, Lama Tsongkhapa's advice. Then I was really amazed, so amazed, you know, I really felt, look, accidentally, you know, so that was when His Holiness was giving teaching in Amarvati, and I was to translate for uh, His Holiness's teaching on this one. Arunagarjuna's uh, fundamental wisdom of the middle way. So for that, I was translating the the whole, you know, uh, five chapters into English. So while doing that, I should make sure that the translation, to the best of my knowledge, is accurate. So for that, simply not translating from the root text try to see how this root text should be read, you know. So because it can be read in all different ways, the literal, the meaning, and all these things. 
so the dead. So I was referring to Lama Tsongkhapa's commentary, Arachadavizi's commentary, and all these different commentaries. And then, accidentally, you know, I just want, just want to as a kind of uh, to rest myself, to give to give a uh, kind of rest to myself. I just you know casually opened the book. I saw that, read it. Oh, it's so amazing. You know, look, this is what I've not seen. I've said this text, you know, twice, whole, complete. And I, I didn't notice that. Now look, that's it. I was so, you know, it's kind of really joyous moment for me. Really joyous. And not only, you know, that I really felt so grateful to Lama Tsongkhapa. Look, he's not simply trying to teach emptiness to us this life. He's even trying to look for ways and means. What if we are so destitute, in, you know, destitute not to, to encounter with the teaching of emptiness in next lives? Now, how to prepare? Oh, this is such a wonderful, wonderful. So this truly reflects how compassionate he is. You know, the mothers, when they send the child away for school or whatever, they would make sure that, what? You know, when he, when he or she gets there in the school, then it's going to be after five, five, day, five, uh, five hours, it's going to be lunchtime, or again he would be hungry, hungry. She was hungry, then send her food, you know? And then, at that point, then he or she will feel thirsty or water. You know, making sure that even if you are absent, you know, the child doesn't suffer. That reflects compassion. Whereas, you know, you are visited in a place, and then the, the, the people, you know, the, the host is so kind to you while you're there. And then once you leave it, you know, we don't care. <laughs> you are responsible for yourself. So this doesn't reflect compassion. Whereas the mother, they do it differently. Not simply that, you know, the mother takes care of the child when, she's, when he or she is there, but they cares, takes care of the child. What? Even in her absence, you know, the next few days, the next week, Months, years, you know, this is amazing. So this reflects the passion. So, not only the the wonderful insight, the wisdom of Lama Tsongkhapa, but the wonderful compassion that he has, very profound, depth of compassion that he has. Okay. Um, next. Next answer. That which dependently originates is possible to be empty of independent existence, which in turn means dependent definition. This is the middle way, right? So here again, look, all these each of the senses they are in you know, a complete in themselves. So say what the stanza is saying is that dependent origination and emptiness these should be these two should be understood as of the same nature. You know, as of the same nature, these two are interchangeable. You know, when you think of emptiness, simply think of that in terms of dependent origination. Not in terms of nothingness. And when you, you know, when you understand emptiness or dependent origination, simply think of that in terms of emptiness, not in terms of inherent, you know, solidly inherently existent nature. These two are interchangeable. These two are synonyms. Dependent origination and emptiness. Then, so if dependent origination is to be meant as emptiness, then what is emptiness? 
Is it just nothingness? No. It says, which in turn means dependent definition. Which means that, you know, which means that emptiness means it does not exist independently without being definited by dependence on others. Instead, it means dependent definition. You know? So here, when you come to know dependent origination in the sense of emptiness, what is that emptiness? Look, emptiness is the emptiness of independent existence, which means by this understanding of emptiness, it helps you freed, you know, it helps you free from the extreme of eternal, extreme of absolutism. You know, there is no, it is empty of independent existence, which means you are free from the extreme of absolutism. And then whereas when it says, which in turn means dependent destination, which means that, you know, emptiness doesn't mean any, uh, nothingness at all, you know. It means dependent designation, which means that there is something to designate. There is something there to designate. Because without something, how can you designate? You know? So, because of this dependent designation, it helps us uh, be freed from the extreme of nihilism. So, this is the middle way. You are freed from the two extremes. Okay, next. Since there is no phenomena that is not a dependent originated, there is no phenomena that is not empty. This, you know. And next, since there is no phenomena, oh, this, that we turn. And then the Aranyagarjuna press garland. Now, look, these two stanzas we can use for our personal everyday day meditation. If the person is not simply trying to dissecting, dissecting oneself, you know, dissecting oneself, say, um, there's one way of dissecting oneself is that you have the, you know, the physical, tangible things like bones, blood, and so, uh, sorry, the flesh and so forth. These are the elements of the earth. And then you have the, the, uh, the, the, the blood, you know, flowing in your body. This is the water element. And then there's the heat in the body, which is the, um, uh, the fire element. And there is, you know, you breathe the air, you know. So this is the air element. And then within your body there are lots of uh, space, empty space. This is the, uh, the space. And then, you know, we also have this mind, which is consciousness. So simply, we, other than these things, you, can really, you cannot really point to anything which is a part of your body, which is a part of you. Right? So which means that you, as a person, can be broken down into these six parts. So it says, if the person is not earth, however, although you are composed of these six elements, but none of these six elements is you, right? Although the person is not earth, not water, not fire, not wind, not space, not also consciousness, and not all of them, connection of them also is not the self. Where is the person out of those? Where is the person there? You know? So this is how one meditates. And then, then look, Interestingly, so this is the second one is really very interesting. The second stanza. Now that you are able to do dismantle this self, but still, you know, you have these different elements left. Then it says the second stanza. Just as a person is not truly existent because of being an aggregation of the six constituents, we said that the self is not findable because the self is constituted by the, all the, these six constituents, and none of these six constituents is the self. So the self is not findable. So similarly, so each constituent, 
you know, the earth, water, fire, and so forth, of a, of a, of a body, of a self, also is not truly existent, because they are also aggregations of their own constituents. You know? Okay. And then back, the next page, Aridevas Pondasthangur. When dependent arising is seen, ignorance will not occur. Now look, this is, you know, a kind of elaborate explanation of um, what we did earlier. When dependent arising is seen, ignorance will not occur. So last time, when, according to Aranagarjuna's fundamental wisdom of the middle way, when we said, through ceasing karma and affliction, nirvana is achieved. So how did we, how did we, you know, how did we uh, speak of seizing the karma and affliction? Finally, by seizing the ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. Now look, in Aradevas, it is very clearly stated, when dependent, when is the ignorance eliminated or ceased? It is when dependent arising is seen, ignorance will not occur. Thus, through all efforts, just try to find this subject of, you know, subject of the dependent arising and emptiness. And then, Lama Tsongkhapa, this is a prayer that I would very much recommend you to say on daily basis in the morning and the evening, in the night, right before you go to bed. Right? The concluding prayer in Lama Tsongkhapa's commentary on Nagarjuna's fundamentalism of the middle way. This is what I say every day. This is what I say every day. Throughout my future lifetime, may I always be guided by Arya Manjushri and be able to uphold the Dharma in general and the teaching on dependent origination in particular, even at the cost of my life. Very powerful, right? So look, if you are so determined to even, you know, at the cost of your life, you are determined to uphold the teaching of dependent origination. Uphold here doesn't really mean simply for yourself really propagating, really teaching others who are interested, you know. By doing so, if you are that determined, no doubt, you are going to be always, always encountering with this teaching of dependent origination. You know, yeah, so this prayer is really very powerful. I say this, you know, after setting this Lama Tsongkhapa's text, so then in the end, end colophon, the end passage, I found that it really struck me, you know, I then committed to say this prayer every day. And then, you know, until now, I've been saying it. It seems like it, or maybe comment, it seems like it's really important when you start uh, working with emptiness that first you deal with objects before you deal with yourself. And is that because if you start with your afflictions will pollute it? Actually, I would say there are different, uh, different standpoints. Some say, you know, it is better to start with the, the self. Some say it's better to start with all two. doesn't matter. You know, you have time. It's not that you, you have just one hour within that you have to do everything. You have to realize emptiness. No. You know, we have, you, we have years. We have life. You know, so in practical sense, what you do is that simply do the meditation in all. You simply switch the object of meditation to external objects, 
to yourself, to your body, to your mind, and as I said earlier, you know, so always eating pizza is not delicious. Mm. At one point it will become boring. So then at one point you simply feel you know, disgusted. So if you feel disgusted to the wisdom of emptiness, that's really sad. So make sure that every day you have different, different foods. You know, with every day there's excitement. So every day make sure that there's excitement with the wisdom of emptiness. So simply keep on switching the objects. You know, oh, there's such a look. Now this morning, you know, so cold. And now look, beautiful sun shining. You are allured by the sunshine. Meditate on this emptiness nature of the sunshine. You know, and you go there, you know, you do a little bit of exercise. And you are, you know, you feel so thirsty. And you see water. Oh, it's so tempting. Again, you meditate on the emptiness nature of this water. You know, within a single day, you can do with tens, twenties of, you know, different options of meditation emptiness. So, don't seem to confine that. Now, then if that is the case, oh, what is that is really convincing. But, in the text, you know, it says so. So, these great masters could be greater than you, you know. So, why did they say differently? Okay, look. So, now, when you examine, oh, look, this is so wonderful, the sunshine, you know, it really soothes me. But look, does it exist inherently? And then you examine. So through examining, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to realize emptiness. One. Then, next, you know, everybody seems to, you know, show a great sense of favor, a great sense of, you know, favor of you. Or they're in favor of you, they like you so much, and you feel elated. Oh, I'm great, you know, but do I exist inherently? I'm like, you know, Mr. Ting Tong, or is that so great? No, I'm exactly like Mr. Ting Tong, the body and the mind, and the body will not say I'm great, and the mind may say that, but the mind, it is deceived, it sees the self, you know, as so concrete, solid, because of this deception, it thought that I'm so great, but there's nothing to feel great about, you know. There is this, then the self dissolves. You know, again, it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to experience emptiness, but these are becoming taking you closer and closer to this emptiness. You know, so then, because of such reflections, it might take you weeks, it might take you months, even years. Still, better to go on, keep on going. And then at one point, you know, when you're really there to realize emptiness. You know, so then, in most cases, in most cases, you know, the realization of emptiness can happen first in relation to the self, meditate on the self. In most cases, you know, but it doesn't mean that it runs from the beginning and at all times you have to keep on meditating on the emptiness nature of the person. No. But in terms of the actual realization, you know, because of you switching the objects to all different things, to yourself, to your friends, to your, you know, the food, the house, and these things. Then at one point, when you really come to experience emptiness, then it says that in most cases, it will be easier when you are quite close to understanding emptiness. Then, you know, by, by taking self as the object of meditation, experience of emptiness can happen, you know. So this is what is the, the meaning, right? And then in terms of 
the grasping at the now the opposite of emptiness, the grasping at the self, it says that grasping at the object comes first, you know, to the grasping of the 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 person, you know. So this order. In terms of the realization of emptiness, in most cases, again it's not always the case. Uh, again, in most cases, in most cases, the realization of the this uh, the emptiness of the uh, the person comes first. But don't worry, simply keep on meditating on emptiness, and then whether you realize the emptiness of the person first or the object first, it, it doesn't matter, you know. So keep on meditating. It's just a philosophical debate, you know. It doesn't matter. Keep on meditating on the emptiness nature of oneself on the anxious nature of, you know, your favorite dishes or your favorite place or if you're so attached to your, you know, parents to your parents these things and then, you know, it doesn't matter whether you realize emptiness emptiness nature wants the first or the emptiness nature of the external objects first it doesn't matter you know, as soon as you realize emptiness you know, in relation to oneself emptiness nature wants the first then extend it towards others it's so easy you know, once you know how to add Two apples plus two apples equals, you know, four apples. Once you know this, then you extend this to others. Two chairs plus two chairs is four chairs, you know. Then two persons plus two persons equals four persons. It's very easy. It doesn't matter. So which first doesn't really bother, you know, it's much of concern, you know. So it's just a philosophical uh, disputation. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this reminds me of, you know, another very important point. Now look, when you reflect on emptiness, it is said that it's like this. Look, how thick is this receiving car? How thick? Very thin, right? Now look, look. Emptiness, experience of emptiness, say this, is, this thin line is a glimpse of the experience of emptiness, right? So, and imagine this hand is your mind, you know, you analyze the, you, you do the analysis of emptiness, and then what happens is that sometimes, sometimes, you know, all of a sudden, your hand, in, instead of simply, you know, going around here all the time, or here all the time, sometimes it passes like this, passes like this, that's it. You know, coincide with the with this visiting card? Yes. You know, but for how long? Very brief. <laughs> you know, there's just a flash of you know goosebumps happening, fear happening, and then gone. Again, the solid thing will appear to you. You know. So now it is advised that this is what is bound to happen. Mm. What is going to happen to you? You know. So what we have to do is that, look, as you pass by this, look, 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 look up, look up, look up. As you pass by this, you know, as you pass by this, it's so brief, so brief, you know, you can hardly really discern. That because of you know because of coming there, you know, what will happen if there's a very sharp blade, very sharp? You put it, and there's already injury there, but you have you didn't notice that. You know you didn't notice that. It's so sharp that you don't feel the pain, 
and the only later on the blood will start coming out and the pain starts. When actually it happens, you, did, you don't really notice it. Similarly, when actually experience of emptiness happens, you know, it's simply like passing, like this, so quickly, just brief. It is so brief that you can hardly discern that this is it. And yet, if it really passes by this, because of this passing, you know, the goosebumps happen. And there's a fear happening. Right. So now, the advice given by the teachers, His Holiness the Dalai Lama and my teachers, is that as your mind passes through this experience, you know, when these signs happening, then you try to maintain, you try to stop your mind there. Don't let this thing pass out like this, you know. Try to stop it, but it's so difficult because you're not trained in stopping your mind there, you know. Mm-hmm. Try to stop it. Which means, in real sense, what you should be doing is that you meditate on emptiness and then as soon as you get something, you know, the, the experience of the absence, absence of the sort of thing, the dip, disappearance of the sort of thing, you know, simply try to abide your mind in that state. Abide your mind, abide your mind in that state. And again, it, you know, it will not remain for a long, long time. Again, very solid, you know, the self or the aggregates, they come to you. As soon as it happens, don't continue. Again, you continue with, you start with the examination, you know, the emptiness examination analysis. Again, as soon as you get that experience, to abide in that experience. So that way, you know, the, the length, the length of your meditation, the length of your experience of emptiness can be prolonged, you know, can be prolonged longer, longer, and longer. And then gradually, gradually, you know, gradually, gradually, then you think about emptiness, and then you can stop there at the experience of the emptiness. And then once you are able to gain some control, some degree of control over this experience, you know, then at that point, when you really get the emptiness, then you are not to analyze any further. Simply maintain, retain that experience. Place your mind on it rather than doing analysis. Because when you get the experience, and if you are able to maintain it for quite long, you know, then if you analyze, again the, the emptiness will disappear. So, when you get it, don't analyze. When you don't get it, or when it disappears, again you analyze. Right? This is one of the key uh, advice from, you know, other great masters. Okay, I think we are done. More questions? Uh, you can ask it, yeah. Okay. No problem. Well, I was wondering what you said that, going back to the Chimacha, you said Alavian. Yeah, yeah. Mind yes. Oh, yeah. Into Buddhahood. Hmm. But into the mind of Buddha. Into the mind of Buddha. But this whole thing is this passive. I see. Thing. Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, very good. Very good. Thank you. So it's all passive because that is made passive, you know, by the afflictions and the karma which we accumulated, stored since beginningless time, you know. It's made so passive by these things. Say, what will happen? It say, um, you know, if there is a person who is so flexible, who has a very flexible body, you know, athlete, or what, and, and gymnastic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. say, oh, you do the same gymnastic by putting on, you know, a very thick jacket, mm-hmm. 
And then gradually you even put on the spacesuit and then ask him to do the gymnastic. Can he do it? Do you think that he can do it? No, he becomes so passive, you know. So this passive is made by these additional things. What? The karmas, negative karmas and the afflictions. So if you eliminate all these things, then again it will, you know, uh, go back to its original nature. Original before beginning this time. What is uh, that about, that original nature? <laughs> very good. Original, very good question. Original has two meanings. Uh. Original in the sense of beginning, original in the sense of true nature. Uh. You know, there's no beginning. Oh, right. So here when I say original, it means, you know, or his idea is original. It means that it, he has not, you know, it is coming from his own side, from his own thought not uh, pleasurizing, you know? So similarly, the true nature is also referred to as the original nature. The original has two meanings. Yes? Is there a difference between the understanding of Rajajan, Prasangika and Chitamatra? Actually, uh, Prasangika, yeah, Prasangika uses this word, Alivyan. Sometimes, not always, sometimes, you know? In some of, even in Arinagarjuna's text, Sometimes you see the usage of this word, Alevigyan. So as soon as you get this word, Alevigyan, don't think that it is referring to Chittamatra's Alevigyan. You know? So, if it so happens that there's the mention of Alevigyan in Prasangika, it can, in most cases, refer to emptiness. In most cases. Yeah. So basically, strictly speaking, in, in Prasangika, there is no Alevijan. There is no Alevijan. Mm. Mm? Yes. Yeah. Since we talked about the um, God, God realms and their neutral um, afflictions. Afflictions uh, in turn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what we said was that the, um, the, they had uh, malicious no thought. Malicious thought. Will, yeah. But if they have truly abandoned it, yeah. it seems that we often use the word abandon when we talk about abandonment or cessation. So they couldn't possibly be having cessations, they've simply suppressed them. Right? Good. So, abandonment, say, oh now look, you know, uh, my friend has abandoned me. Mm-hmm. This is also one of the, the usage. It doesn't mean that the person has abandoned you, you know, and then never in your life uh-huh, okay. you're going to, you know, be friend again, right? So abandonment can refer, don't be so strict, uh-huh. you know? So, in one text, if it refers to the abandon, abandonment from its root, then be stick to it in, this, in the context of this textbook, mm-hmm. right? But simply don't make you so rigid in the usage of these words. So, Last time, I've been constantly reminding you to make sure that the words that we use in these, in the philosophical studies, they also have relevance to the ordinary people's way of using it, right? So the abandonment, abandoning, can be thought of in two ways. One, you know, abandoning temporarily, and one, abandoning for good, abandoning from its root. Yeah, so don't, you know, feel yourself so rigid. 
But in some texts, you know, abandonment in order to make distinction between the abandon, abandoning from the root and the temporary abandonment, they might say, or seizing in terms of the abandoning from the root, you know. And uh, temporal remove, uh, re removing can be said as removal, you know, or suppression. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, always try to be, you know, try to see in what context this word is used. Say, for example, here, in the Nagarjuna's text, when we were talking about distorted conceptions, even the first ignorance, the root cause, is also distorted conception. But in what context is it used? So then I try to elaborate it by saying that it is unrealistic, exaggerating, conceptualization. You know, I elaborate it. So I try to contextualize what it means here in this sense. And it doesn't mean that, oh, you know, distorted conceptions. So this is the meaning. So anything else, you know, they should not be distorted conceptions. This is not the case, right? So uh, what I mean to say is that any word that is used in a particular text, instead of trying to interpret it in your own ways, try to first of all study the text and then see how it is interpreted by this author in this text. Yeah. So, from that point of view, abandonment can be of two kinds. Abandonment, temporary abandonment, and abandonment for good. You have? Yeah, I was thinking that... Yeah, tell me, yeah. Can I? Yes, yes, yes. Inside, uh, okay, we'll look for things and there's nothing there. We'll look for things and there's nothing there. So I think that there should be somehow Conventionality. Conventionality, very good. I mean, it seems like it's not complete, like something needs in there. Ah, very good, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So actually, look. We can do that <laughs> Very good, very good. Okay, anyway, I'll keep, you know, I'll keep this in, your, in, in my mind. There's one very important uh, stanza. So, I, you know, actually, last night I was working this stanza, these stanzas last night, you know putting them all on computer. So, actually, I left one very important stanza from Aridevas. Anyway, uh, from Chandakya, this, this one. Uh, commentary on Bodhicitta. There's one uh, chapter of uh, stanza from... stanza from... from commentary on Bodhicitta by Arinagarjuna. So, this is exactly the stanza you are looking for. Yeah, we start here. 